is this job I have my purpose and is it my passion? And if it's not, then you're really just going through the motions every day. I'm not sure you really are bringing your best self to work. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Tricentral's 1% Better podcast. Our mission is to make a positive impact on the life of anyone who interacts with Tricentral. Over the past 20 years, we are humbled to have helped some of the most successful brands and organizations from around the world and are excited to share incredible stories of improvement directly from our clients, partners, and employees. Our goal is that every podcast provides insights and learnings that lead to a mindset of growth, continuous improvement, and lasting value, both at a personal and professional level. 1% at a time as small changes can lead to truly transformative results. Thanks for listening to 1% Better and be sure to hit that like button. Hello, my name is Craig Thielen and welcome to the 1% Better podcast. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Finn Golding, who is a global chief technology officer and chief information officer, business agility author and expert. He's coming to us today from Ireland, which gives him the distinct honor of being our first international guest on 1% Better. Finn's been named one of the top global CTOs, CIOs, and some of the organizations Finn's worked with include Visa, Royal Bank of Scotland, NatWest, HSBC. By the way, NatWest, I worked at once. That was one of my clients, so we haven't even talked about that. Um, Aviva Insurance, Travelocity, and Paddy Power. Finn is the author of three books on the topics of business agility and transformation called Flow, 12 Steps to Flow, and the Transformation Sprint. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he may be working on a fourth book. Finn currently advises executives around the world to adopt new ways of working and remodel their business to deliver successful transformation. If that's not enough, he's also an avid runner and just ran a marathon last week, if I'm not mistaken. Finally, on a personal note, I've had a pleasure of working and knowing Finn over the past five years in a number of different forums, including partnering on the implementation of Flow, working with a, a couple clients and a few speaking events, one in Italy and one recently that we did together in London. And we just continue to share our experiences and learnings. And I always find great value in talking with Finn, as I'm sure you all will. And lastly, we first met in a pub in Dublin, which is Finn's backyard. And that is the very first authentic Irish Guinness that I had. And if you ever have the choice of meeting someone for the first time, I highly recommend uh, doing it in a, an Irish pub in Dublin over a Guinness. <laughs> so with that, Finn, welcome to 1% Better. <laughs> Thank you so much. No, it's a pleasure to be speaking to you again as usual. It's great. Excellent. So first of all, let's get started. How'd that marathon go? I went pretty good, actually. I, a lot of good planning and uh, had the weather with me, so it didn't rain too much, just a little bit of a drizzle. So yeah, I did the Zurich Marathon. Uh, you know, I got around in quite a decent time, and that was marathon number 38. So I'm, I'm trying wow. to get towards 50, and um, it's just my is my way of de-stressing, is, is training and keeping fit and, and just uh, and visiting different cities around the world. So. Yeah, maybe at some point during this conversation, we can come back to that because I'm always interested in this intersection of personal development and professional development. And sometimes we separate the two. And I, I feel like they're way more connected than the sort of the corporate world sort of allows for. And so maybe at some point you can tell us about how you use that time that you run and train. And it's very arduous. And how, how does that help you show up differently in your 
professional sense. So noodle on that for a little bit, but let's okay. get started with, uh, just tell us a little bit about your background. How'd you get into being a, a CIO and a CTO? <laughs> and then and then you shifted away from that. You're very successful in that, but well-known in that field. And then you really started focusing on this notion of agility and, and, and sort of really spending your time there. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think um, part of the kind of traditional background of a technologist is that I was a developer. I worked on a mainframe, so I, I'm that old that you know I'm doing assembly development, and there was no such thing as 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 a kind of a career that would take you from being a you know a technician to being a senior technician. Now I don't think really architects or CTOs were really a big thing back then. So to actually move up in a company, I eventually had to go into management. So that's what I did. So I worked in large banks and financial institutions, different parts of the world. World, uh, you know, in the US and et cetera, and um, very, very corporate, big teams, managing big groups and climbing all the way up the ladder, you know. Then life happens and things happen to me and I, I, I had to switch and move back to Europe and um, I joined a startup because they were looking for someone that actually knew how to work with you know, high scale, high performance, high transaction processing systems. So I joined this this startup, which was actually a subsidiary of Travelocity and, um, and yeah, and great success in terms of making them a little bit more stable and being able to deliver and all those sort of things. But what I learned from them was the power of agility and communication and people working together and actually having some fun and having a shared mission and rolling your sleeves up. And, you know, the CEO was doing user acceptance testing and, you know, it was that kind of thing. And wow. so I stayed in the startup world for a, a few years and then I then switched back into the corporate world and the corporate world hadn't changed. It was still kind of old traditional ways of working and slow delivery and, you know, uh, monthly releases. And I've come from this like releasing every, well, when you're done, like every hour or something. So I kind of discovered that I could use some of the knowledge I had from the startups to so to bring that into the, the corporate world, which is what I did, had some success there. And I wrote a book about it and and was talking on the speaking circuit because that's how you hire staff, right? When you're a CTO and you can't get staff, you're out there trying to impress them to come and join you. And um, eventually I decided to go out on my own and, and provide advice and guidance from having these perspectives of big corporate successful startups and then actually having the, the real uh, history to share with people. This wasn't just something that you, you dreamed up. It actually happened, you know, so... Interesting. So you you got your inspiration getting out of the corporate world into a startup about five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, time flies. There is a book called Lean Startup and very, I think, sort of groundbreaking at the time when a lot of corporations were trying to figure out, like, how do we compete with all these startups? Right. And it gave the mindset. And it's really a book about lean and agility. It's really putting that that startup mentality into a larger environment. So are you familiar with that? And is that kind of the same experience you had that you wanted to bring back to corporate world? Yeah, I think I think everybody rushed out and bought that book and right. um, and then perhaps uh, failed in terms of implementing it within a corporate because some of the interesting dynamics, which is, first of all, there's, there's a resistance to change at certain executive levels that they're not keen to learn new ways of working or risk the business, shall we say. Um, there's also this being scared to talk about new methodologies or because they don't understand them or don't understand what agile really means and because there's so much jargon and all this stuff, you know. And so I think what I started to do was de-jargonize some of this stuff, get people to work together 
in a visual way and in a social way and actually get executives out of corner offices and actually down with their teams and being part of the production or whatever they're doing and, and you know, and making that come to life and, and providing the teams with the one thing that they don't have, which is you know, the, the power sometimes or the decision making capability to pivot on the spot rather than being in executive teams working on information that's a month old. Like, why don't you work real time? And I think that's the power of it, because you must have been into corporates that have got pool tables and foosball and free right. food. And right. none of that actually works for a corporate, really, in my opinion. I think it's great for some of the employees, but you now see some of the big tech giants rolling some of that back because of cost. But I think one of the key things here is that how do you create an environment that has all the elements of a startup in a corporate world? And, and, it, and it can be kind of hard. So, Finn, a lot of organizations, almost all of them really, are, are searching for that next thing that can help them be better. And we use the word agile, agility, but it's, you could use continuous improvement. We just want to, we have to go faster. The world's changing. Or it's more digital, speed of change. And you clearly had an experience that, hey, there's some things that we did in a small environment that, that we really need to take to, to much larger environments. But when you got back into the corporate world and you started coaching, whether you were doing it formally as a, a CTO or CIO, or whether you were being that executive coach, what do you see as the most common obstacles that these sort of more traditional organizations, they have the appetite to want to be more agile, be more like that lean startup, but there's so many obstacles in their way. What are some of those things that you see getting in, in the way that organizations, they try to do it and then they, they fail? I think, yeah, I think part of it, as I mentioned, was was to try not to be too technical in, in the conversation in terms of the jargon that's used so rather than some of the lean stuff that you that you would know rather than talking about cycle time and lead time or that kind of stuff you talk about well what's our throughput what can we produce and use use words that they would actually understand demystify the kind of agile stuff because it's not that difficult really if i can do it, anybody can do it so it's a case of helping your engineering teams to go faster they're the ones with the skills to to write the code but it's it's the environment around them and this kind of visualization, making quick decisions, et cetera, and showing executives that that's not too difficult. But you do find that there's a certain amount of toxicity within some leadership teams and, and people want to throw you off course and, and want to keep things the way they are because they, they've got their corner office and their fiefdom, you know, and, and they right. don't want to be, they want it to be disrupted whatsoever. So you have to take a certain amount of risk. I, I always, my first speech as a CTO in a company was always, I expect to have a life expectancy of like two to four years and I might get fired on this journey, but I'm willing to take the risk and and I keep bringing people back. It's like, like a bit of fun, but I'm referencing the fact that, look, I'm coming to make some change and I'm willing to put my reputation on the line. And you often get one or two people within the team that will say, OK, let's 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 try this. Let's let's give it a go. And you have to get some results in weeks, not months or years. I mean, really do have right. to deliver quite quickly. So that's, that's the, the key. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things I love about you, and I think many people that know you do, is that you have this gift to sort of cut through the bull and get to the heart of the matter and sometimes be even provocative. And and I don't know, maybe that's your Irish heritage. But for example, I, I remember you saying things like agile's dead and the biggest impediments teams have are executives and <laughs> I'm just a plumber. And this is you being a, an executive. I'm just a plumber. I just try to unblock things. So tell me about how you've used that we in the in the business use all these fancy words like we need transparency and we need courage to report the truth. But it's really just being really direct and saying what you know, saying what you feel. 
How do you think this has helped you help organizations and executives just really get to the heart of the matter and, and get the change that's needed? And then what can other people learn from that? Because I do think a lot of people hold back and they're waiting to be told. They don't want to take a risk. They're sort of playing this game, but it really just wastes time. And it and it sort of avoids the heart of the matter versus going through the motions, which we see a lot of people do. Yeah, I mean, I do tend to use a little bit of humor, that's for sure, in, in the way that I, I give the message. And I think that's kind of important. I think in work, I've, I mean, you need to be honest and say, is this job I have my purpose and is it my passion and if it's not then you're really just going through the motions every day I'm not sure you really are bringing your best self to work you know and I find a lot of people in that situation that are just trying to you know maintain the salary that's coming in because they've reached quite a high level and I guess when you get on in your career that becomes less of an issue so you, you can take more risks and I think also you are looking to to make your own life enjoyable within an environment that you're working in so yeah, I've quite often said to executives, uh, this kind of speaking truth to power is very hard if if it's going to disrupt your own personal life. But I kind of found that risk intoxicating to a degree, you know, and, and I right. actually like talking to executives now and I, I, I don't do much advisory uh, as I used to, but I still do some. And, and I, but I do this, which large consultancies they don't do they go in thinking about okay i'm going to win a small contract and another one another one another. i'm going to be there for a long time i just go in with if i can solve your problem in a day i will and we'll have a beer and that's it and if i can take it you solve your problem in a month then i will but i quite often say to the executives or even the ceo you're the problem you need to do this you need to do that and i remember some executive teams taking a sharp intake of breath when i said the CEO right. problem i got thrown out and then uh, three months later, that that CEO was fired and they brought me back in. So it was kind of fascinating, but it is not easy. But I do think you have to have some experience and you have to realize that no two organizations are the same. Everything has a separate context. So when you see consultancies go into an organization with the playbook of right. methods, or, they might be lucky. But probably nine times out of 10, they're going to fail because there's a brand new context and there's brand new set of players and a different atmosphere and different drivers. And so you, you can't make one size fit all. Yeah, I, I love what you said. You started with going right to the team and individual level and saying, is this your passion? Are you enjoying what you're doing? Are you doing what you want to do? And I think that's so powerful and so overlooked when people go through sort of these quote unquote transformations and we're going to be agile and use all these sort of methods <laughs> We overlook that. We use, again, we use terms saying, oh, we want empowered teams and self-directed teams. But then we continue to tell them what to do and tell them what good looks like. And here's how much money, here's how much resource and just do what we want you to do. And that's kind of the old mindset. And so, you know, getting to what are we really trying to do? We're trying to unleash people's potential, their passions. Again, that, that usually is something that has to be led from the top. There has to be alignment in all levels of the organization on sort of culture, right? How are we going to show up and do the work? So how have you seen that show up and how have you addressed that when you just see that disconnect? Yeah, I think you have to peel back many layers of the onion to find out what's going on. And you often find in an organization that they, you know, when they get a bit lean and mean, they, they cut the training budgets. Or, and I think that's the most ridiculous thing. You should be doubling it. You know, you need continuous learning in your organization and you need to be learning new skills all the time. And your team needs to be learning new skills and empowering a team. Sometimes they don't want to be empowered. They want to be given some very clear goals about what they need to do and what they need to do it when. And, 
and be rewarded for it. I mean, I've had negative empowerment in my life and, I, and I've hated it because it's a lot of pressure on you, you know. So I often think about what with the teams I work with really is, as, as you say about, is this your passion? But when I go into an organization, I speak to everybody, including the receptionist and the people that clean the building or whatever, everybody in the organization, because they all have a part to play. And you get these nuggets of, okay, in some organizations, everything's working well. In others, it's like everybody out, out of sight is unhappy. And that percolates through the organization and it seeps into the culture. And it's one of the things that holds them back. The, the name of this podcast is 1% Better. And so it, it, the idea is around continuous improvement. It's around small, incremental, consistent, persistent improvement can really lead to dramatic results. Sometimes it can just be one small change. It's kind of got that butterfly effect. Or sometimes it's like, no, if we just improve one thing every week, boy, you look back six months or 12 months later and you don't even look the same, right? So Tell me some experiences you had on those kind of 1% moments. Either it was it was one thing that you did or the organization did that really sort of set the path or some consistent technique that led to dramatic results over time. And there are a couple of things. I think I think the main thing for me was always about making connections with the, the entire team at all levels. So I would constantly have sessions with teams or even with individuals. I'm just trying to get information about how this mass of people is operating and can I improve it. But when I talk to large companies, they fear transformation, they fear change, and because they think it's going to be big and expensive. And I, I explain my kind of small steps approach, which is like, let's pick a small initiative and one small team, and let's use that to demonstrate how change can happen. And within a few weeks, help it to deliver. And I think one of the things you find, the feedback from that team to an executive group is that we're actually enjoying this. We're actually enjoying you know, working together and we're enjoying our job and we're enjoying adding value to the company And because we can see the results quicker. And as you probably know, you've some companies are in the middle of a transformation that's been going on for years, two, three, four, five years. And sometimes it becomes a vehicle to just carry people and it, there is no outcome at the end. <laughs> there is no delivery. Right. Right. So I think this small steps approach coupled with social interaction with people using visual techniques. I mean, they've always I, I, I'm not a great person that reads long reports and stuff like that. I can probably my mind can drift away quite quickly. And I think that using some visual techniques to express these are all the tasks that we need to do. And this is this is this is going to go on the wall and I can understand how it all fits together. That works well for me. And um, I find that a lot of executives are in the same situation. Speaking of visual techniques, that reminds me of your book, Flow. I think it's a brilliant book that takes this very jargoned, agile world that's got all these sort of technical terms, and it puts it into, for me, a very simple, understandable, practical language and set of techniques. And I believe one of the chapters is very focused around visualizing your work. Uh, and I know you've done a lot of work with even executive teams of saying, hey, let's let's actually put our strategy on the wall. Let's put our C-suite uh, backlog on the wall. Let's let's put our measurements on the wall so everyone can see it. That's a big step for a lot of executives. A lot of times they, they hold things closely and they like to control them. First of all, talk a little bit about, we'll come back to that, but talk about the book flow and how it's different than what you're seeing okay. when people are going through these sort of agile transformations, why you wrote it and, and, and how it's different. If you peel the book back a little bit at its core, it's just got a lot of things that have been stolen from the lean world. <laughs> you know, so right. there's, there's nothing, there's, there's lean software development techniques in there. There's, there's, there are 
agile practices, but they're never spoken about like that. But it, it tries to fill in the gaps in an organization in the areas. This is like five or six years ago when it was first written. There was nothing around how do you have an agile strategy or agile risk management or agile. And I don't like those words, but you know, I'm kind of trying to say new, shall we say, new ways of working for executive teams with their strategy, with product and marketing teams, with their portfolio of work. And how does that fit into teams that are learning all this agile, quote unquote, techniques to deliver? So it was kind of saying, how do we make the whole organization work in a new way? And part of that was visualization. The most powerful thing was to just visualize all the work that's in play in your organization. So with one organization in in New York, um, they were very skeptical, but we put every single project and program on the wall. And the CEO couldn't believe it. It was like 350 things that are in play. I said, but your team isn't big enough to deliver it. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say you're having to bring in all external resources from consultancy XYZ at $3,000 a day. <laughs> Maybe you should think about, hang on, what's the most valuable things to deliver that will give but us that, the highest return? Then. I mean, just I'm gonna stop on that for a second. The visualizations, I always comment to clients and one of the diseases in the corporate world is that we have too much work in process and we don't have the capacity to deliver it. So what it does, it's like a freeway system that's all in. I think you've even had a slide on this one time that showed a freeway and it's eight lanes, but it's just a parking lot. But sometimes it has to be physical for us to kind of understand it. If it's just in some portfolio management system or some spreadsheet, it, it's just all kind of behind the scenes. Yeah. And I don't think that sometimes executives understand like we have 350 projects going on and some of them are enormous. So are they all equal value? Are they all equal priority? Are they all equal in the organization? Of course, the answer is no. But I think just that <laughs> simple, this is a lean concept, a simple, you know, Kanban visualization of the work is incredibly powerful, isn't it? That's kind of what I tried to set out with a kind of an executive portfolio wall of all the all the things that are in play. And now some people have taken that idea and run with it and they've come up with the visual PMO and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, it doesn't matter who invented it first. But the idea is that you've got everything on the wall and you can make decisions about, OK, look, what we really need to do is pick the, the most valuable things here. But what I also did on that wall was leave a section for infrastructure and a, and a section for regulatory because these things have to happen so if, if something First. is of regulatory it, it's just as important and infrastructure gets overlooked in terms of you know continually feeding this this environment to make you more efficient and and, and that's part of the reason i think why you end up with some transformations is that you know a lot of, of organizations don't look at the care and feeding of their of their world and and what this like five or six or seven or eight or even 10 years later they have to come back and do a massive upgrade of stuff and they try to avoid that but you're right visualizing it is important visualizing risks in an agile risk management way using the term again but it's more about like putting these risks on the wall and you see right this one risk that's read in a report they all get excited, the executives. They go bonkers. Right. Oh, why is this red? But if it's one in a sea of green and, and amber, it's, it, it's not quite the same. All right, it's important, but you know, there's something we can do about this one thing. But let's get some credit for all the other stuff that's, that's going quite well, you know. So, um, But I find that, that yeah, visualization for me is the most fun. And, and then taking that and just going from portfolio to product, say to a persistent team of a set of tasks and for them to then deliver the code, which is where all the focus of new ways of working has been, has been on the on the engineering. It has been less 
upstream on the business side. And that's kind of where I saw a gap, basically. Yeah. So related to that, the visualization of the of the work, you know, sometimes we, we say that executives can't delegate transformation or, or true change. They have to lead it. They actually have to be part of it. They have to immerse themselves in it. Um, otherwise, the rest of the organization, frankly, doesn't take it all that serious. How have you seen that transpire? One way is by doing some of the things you just were talking about. Let's let's put the work on the wall. But also, just have you seen change happen with executive teams by saying, hey, we're going to actually run this executive team like a scrum team. We're going to use some of the same ceremonies. We're going to use some of the same techniques that forces them to change the way they think. Now they're putting their hands on the work versus just you guys, the rest of you change. We're going to stay in our C-suite and we're going to keep doing things, command and control and keep measuring the the things the same way. But how have you seen that help executives understand what this is and lead it versus just delegating it? I'll use a couple of examples, but I will just put one piece of, of information here, which is quite interesting, is that all this visualization work I was doing many years ago was going great. And then COVID really knocked us off course True. because True. you couldn't do it. So we started using Miro and some of those tools, not quite the same. But now we're back partially to uh, you know working in the office again. Now the visualization and the interactions coming back. And one, one executive said to me the other day, he said that all these people we hired during COVID have no clue how to socially interact. So this visualization is perfect. I mean, it's they can see the work, they can they can work with their coworkers. So I'm, I'm a big fan of remote working. I do most of my work remotely, but I love the interaction when it comes to being, you know, kind of productive and creative. To your question about executive teams, you know, with a few of them, I've created a specific visualization board for them where each row or swim lane for those people that like that terminology is one of the goals of the company. So let's let's see. I've got in my team and my company or whatever it is, I've got six goals I need to achieve. What am I going to be doing to, to make those goals come to life? What's in progress and what's complete? It's a very simple technique. Because that's what we're here for. We're here to, I don't know, increase revenue or we're here to hire more people or whatever it is. Yep. Um, and by doing the, that visualization, but I also got them to, to work together out in the open where their teams could see them. They're, oh, I thought those executives hated each other, but they're working really well together. <laughs> you know, so, and leaving it there if it's not confidential for other people to see. Late in the evening, you'd see people coming along and say, what are they up to? Oh, that's important. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, that kind of thing. And obviously right. you can't do that for everything and because you've got confidential stuff. But generally, there's no secret to what these people think is important. If it's important to them, it should be important to me as a person that's um, you know, part of the delivery mechanism. Let's circle back to where we started the conversation. I want to come back to this idea of personal development. And, and everyone has things that they're working on themselves. Could be getting in better shape, losing weight, could be better relationships. And then you've got professional development. How do you connect those things yourself personally? And then how do you see that in organizations when we when we talk to teams and we help teams be more productive, get more mm-hmm. throughput, more flow, more velocity, all these kinds of things? Like, how do you address those personal side of improvement versus, you know, the, the corporate side of improvement? I think as a technician engineer back in the day, I had to keep learning to 
to be productive. And then when you become manager, part of your life is protecting your, your world and, and you, you actually learn less, I think. You're, you're, you're more obsessed with your status. And I was, I, I was guilty of that for sure. And, and I felt that this is not my purpose. I, I really need to make a transition into becoming a real leader. And part of that I felt was uh, learning how to coach and how to mentor um, and how to counsel if needed and you know, getting the skills to do those things. I think that broke me out of this world of being a manager into a world of being a leader because I could listen more and 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 use my experience as well in, in where it was needed or I would get that knowledge out of somebody themselves because they already had it by using some you know continuous questioning or something some sort of techniques but I also find that yeah my own personal development is is now more and more key because things are moving so fast I mean you just cannot stand still anymore and what I learned many years ago is now changing and, and you constantly need to change. And I think that's what makes it fun in your career that puts some of the passion into your career is to continue. And you don't have to do, you know, go on, on uh, you know, executive MBAs and stuff like that. I mean, you can really just learn from um, there's, there's free resources out there or learn from other people, oh, which, yeah. I kind of, which I kind of enjoy. Or read, read, read books. Almost, that's almost too much information, right? We've got, I mean, yeah. you could spend your whole life on Twitter. <laughs> exactly. And I think I, I used to challenge myself by writing more and more stuff because I actually think that transformation is a continuous activity as well. It's, it should be just done in right. smaller sections and it should be the way that you run your business. But, you know, it's it's a case that some people have to make these big jumps. But yeah, continuous learning is it helps. And then I think if you're mentoring or coaching, you're 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 getting continuous feedback as well from the people that you're working with. And, and quite often I learn a hell of a lot from people that know more than me. And I think it's it's fun. I think that it's very telling, Finn, that someone of your level of experience and stature and, and expertise, and you're talking about how important personal development is to you and how feedback loops are important to you. And it's it's a perfect sort of segue to my last question, <laughs> uh, which I, I try to ask everybody, which is if you look back, you've had a, a long career and you've had a lot of great experiences, but if you're sitting down with, with your grandkids or like the 18-year-old version of Finn, what advice would you give yourself or them? That's a really good question. I think from a technical perspective, I might have decided to stay technical <laughs> and, and been a, you know, introvert boffin somewhere, you know, um, coding away because I really enjoyed it. That's that. your passion, right? That was my passion back then. Yeah, I was, I was one of those people that built my own PCs and stuck graphics cards in to make them go faster. And I got obsessed with that. But I, I would say that I actually think that I, I touched on it before, which was about if you're a manager and you want to be a leader, I do think the coaching skills and, and learning how to interact with people and, and mentor and, and counsel, these are good skills to have. These really do help you to engage with a team and a wider team. And I think perhaps should have learned that earlier because, you know, you go from senior technician to manager overnight without any training. You just you just that's the next step in terms of seniority. On the personal side, coming back to the the marathon training. What I know now is a combination of all the errors I've made and all the races sure, that I've done. Sure. So if I had uh, if if I had that knowledge now that I'm later in life, when I was much younger, I think I would be running sub three hour marathons quite easily, and um, I would have no issue whatsoever with all the knowledge I have now. And I think that it's quite interesting because if you think about training, and I I got I learned this from a guy in the army who talked about you know when you do your training, it's it's very waterfall. Your your you're planning, you're doing all these things, you're following the steps. But then when you're in action, the same with when you're in the race, 
then you become very agile because things are changing all the time. Absolutely. The you have to. Changes, you have to. You've got a problem with your ankle. There is, there's too many people. There's, where are all the water stations? And it's the same on if people are in, in war situation. They have to be very agile out Absolutely. there because things are but this, so there's a place in terms of preparation and training and learning to get you ready for that pivoting and and being successful. Well, Finn, thanks so much for for the time. I, it was it was great. I know I got one percent better, and I know the audience did, did as well. So thanks for being on one percent better. That's fantastic. Thanks for the opportunity, and I hope people enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the One Percent Better podcast. We hope you found it insightful and useful for your improvement journey. As always, you can access podcast transcripts and links to reference material at tricentialcom forward podcast. If you would like to be a guest on 1% Better, you can do it on the same site. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please like, share, or rate our podcast. Until the next episode, here's to getting 1% Better every day.